Coaches, welcome to the Championship Vision Podcast. This is episode number 37. Today we have another great guest, uh, Coach TJ Rosine. He's the head men's basketball coach at Emmanuel College in Franklin Springs, Georgia. I'm so excited to have Coach Rosine. I've been trying to get him on for quite a while now, and it's going to be a treat. Make sure you all get out your notebooks, get out your pen, get your paper, uh, start writing these great notes down. Let me tell you a little bit about Coach Rosine. At the age of 40, T.J. Rosine is entering his 17th season as head men's basketball coach at Emanuel College in Franklin Springs, Georgia. The last 12 of those have been at the helm of the Lions. During that time, Rosine has coached in six national championship games between NAIA and NCAA in the Lions' final year as an NAIA member. The Lions made it all the way to the national championship game. In the four years following the Lions, <clears throat> Lions played postseason in the NCAA, winning two national championships. 2018 will be the Lions' first season as full NCAA Division II members. The Lions have won three NCAA national championships since 2009. Rosine has accumulated over 350 wins with 12 20-win seasons, including a current streak of 10 consecutive 20-win seasons in a row. Rosine has three times been named National Coach of the Year. Coach Rosine was born in, into the profession. He is the son of a longtime high school coach who he played for at Oconee County High School. Rosine says coaching is a rare opportunity to shape and mold the lives of young people. It is a privilege that I never take for granted. My father taught me how to use coaching in the game of basketball to change lives and make an impact. And for that, I am forever grateful. Coach Rosine is married to Aaron Reeves Rosine, and they have four children, Boston, Bella, Presley, and River. Coach Rosine's 2018-19 commitment statement. I just want to share this with you because it says a lot about TJ and what um, – uh, the impact he has on his kids. Not all the coaches do this, and I, I thought it was something special to read this. <clears throat> this is his commitment statement for this past year. You can count on me to develop, engage, and empower men of great influence. I will communicate to challenge and uplift. You can count on me to not only lead the way, but to go the way. You can count on me to lead with humility and pursue excellence with energy and resilience. I will lead these amazing young men in an unwavering pursuit of being school changers, game changers, and world changers. The Lord will lead our steps, and our love for others will be evident. And I just love that. I mean, just the way it's presented, I think. And, and not only that, you can say that, but he lives it. And I know that just from <clears throat> speaking to a lot of people that know Coach Razine on that, he definitely lives that. He lives that commitment statement. Uh also, TJ currently serves as the director for coach development for PGC Point Guard College and oversees all PGC Glazer coaches clinics. He has been a director with PGC for five years. He has been speaking at clinics for years, including the Read and React clinics with Rick Torbett and has helped Better Basketball create a quick hitters video for their Read and React offensive series. In addition, where I really got to know Coach Ruzine is he is director of the Hardwood Hustle podcast. The Hardwood Hustle is a platform designed to educate, empower, and encourage coaches, players, and parents. 
your hosts, Adam Bradley, Lead em Up, and T.J. Rosine, college basketball coach, share their genuine and fresh perspective on topics centered around the, hard, the hardwood and the hustle. Join me some of the biggest names in basketball. <clears throat> the hardwood hustle continues to inspire the basketball community and all our hustlers who regularly listen. Um, and that's where I really got to know. And I, I really recommend to all you coaches, check out the hardwood hustle. I mean, the topics that they discuss, the transparency that Adam um, and uh, TJ talk about, it's just unbelievable. So I, I fully recommend, even though uh, my podcast is designed to kind of promote other people's vision and um I mean, TJ's vision is unbelievable. You need, really need to listen. Take out your notes today. I'm so excited to be talking to him. And um, coaches, let's welcome Coach TJ Rosine. Hey, coaches, this is Nick Bartlett with Dr. Dish Basketball, and you're listening to the Championship Vision Podcast with Coach Kevin Furtado. Make sure to check us out at drdishbasketball.com and on Twitter and Instagram at at drdishbball for daily basketball drills, tips, inspiration, and how we've revolutionized the basketball shooting machine over here at Dr. Dish. Also mention this podcast and you will receive an exclusive discount on your next Dr. Dish purchase. Thanks for tuning in. Coach Rosine. Hey, Kevin. How are you? Good, good. What a pleasure, man, to get you on, I tell you. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, no doubt. I, I feel like you're a brother of mine, man. I listen to you guys every day. Yeah, uh, I appreciate that. <laughs> um, but I tell you, I, I really I know you're a busy guy right now and so forth. And uh, matter of fact, I just emailed uh, Donnie Boswick. Yeah. And, uh, man, I love the podcast you all did with him. And I, I just really – I mean, I got a lot out of that. I mean, there's not enough coaches like that out there. Yeah, did you check out? Did you check out a spirit-led coach website? That's what I'm going to do. Yeah, I'm going to check that out tonight. Um, but yeah, it, it's some it's some great stuff. I mean, it, and it just uh, it makes you really evaluate. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah. Uh, but it makes me evaluate. You know, kind of what we're doing and what I'm doing and uh, what impact that I'm having you know, on the kids and on my family and so forth. Uh, but just it just makes you think, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Donnie's been a good friend for a long time, man. He's always, man, passionately followed the Lord in all of his walk, man. He's, he's always made it about him. And uh, it's been fun to watch his career over time because it's just, you know, he's got he's had good teams, but it's just like they always seem like they kind of achieve a little bit extra, you know? Yeah, it's those intangibles. I mean, and, and I mean, this, that's no doubt what you get out of your guys, too. And that's what I want to kind of pick your brain on. Yeah. Um, hey, I, I want to – Yeah, I tell you, I feel like I've just hit a grand slam. I had Sam Allen, Allen Stein, Adam Bradley, and now TJ Rosie. You can't get any better than that. You're killing it, man. You're killing it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you, know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm just a good old boy here, just, you know, small-time coach. Uh, but I love talking to you guys, man. All those – I have so many coaches that contact me and says, man, I met a coach the other day. You probably know him, Milt Travis, that yeah. coached at Buford. I don't know if you know Milt. I think he works with Sam. Oh, I know Milt real well. Uh, his son, Jacob, played for me, played with me at, at Reinhardt. And, okay. Uh, his other son, Josh, worked for me. So I know those guys real well. 
it's a it's a small world, isn't it, in the coaching realm? I mean, there's so many connections out there. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, hey, I, I just want to ask you. Uh, first of all, thank you for coming on, and I, I really want to kind of get into, um, you know, how you got involved. I know I'm going to ask you some questions about your dad and the impact he had on, but uh, kind of tell our listeners a little bit about how you kind of got into coaching and what kind of led you to kind of the mission you are about being so impactful to all your, all your players. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm happy to talk about anything you want to talk about. <clears throat> um, but yeah, just, just kind of explain kind of your background and kind of how you got started and uh, kind of how, what, what led you to kind of the, the person you are now and, what led you to kind of the, like I said, kind of the, the mission you are to really be more impactful as a coach rather than the wins and losses. Cause that's, that's what I get out of listening to you. Yeah. There's so many more important things. How, how do you get to that point? Yeah. You want me to share now or when we get going? Right, right now. It'd be great. Yes, sir. Yeah. Okay. Are you going to cut it up and stuff like that or? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So, um, man, well, let me just say, start with, you know, I think, how did I get to a point of wanting to be so impactful? Um, well, really, I think what it's really important for all people is have good mentors. And I had amazing mentors and, um, you know, from my dad who, who had a really big impact on my life and just watching him, uh, have kids that loved playing for him. Um, and he grew up uh, in California and he worked camps for John Wooden and had an opportunity to work with Wooden. And so he, he grew up, that way. So obviously a really, really impactful, um, first step. And I had, you know, different coaches throughout my career that had that same impact on me as well. And then, um, you know, I think as I got down more and more into the profession and and honestly, as my faith began to kind of take more a part in my life, I think I was like a lot of people where when you got to college, um, you know, I kind of strayed a little bit and I was lost and I didn't really know what exactly I wanted to do. And during that time, there was a lot of heartache, a lot of, you know, who am I? What am I doing? Why am I here? Uh, And then as I began uh, and I finished up and, you know, I began to um, get into coaching. And then I I, I wasn't very transformational in my first couple of years. Uh, In fact, I was probably, you know, I cared about players. I wanted things to go well, but I was just really trying to, to, you know, carve a niche as a coach and win. And I was just trying to prove myself worldly, you know, like, hey, I can I can go win games. And um and I still did care about kids, but I wasn't intentional. So then it wasn't getting done. And then over time, as my faith began to grow and I began to reexamine, as we all should probably do on a regular basis, why are we here? Why are we doing what we're doing? What is my re- purpose in this moment? And uh, that just began to take shape. And I realized, man, all my heartache and learnings in college, you know, I, I, it, you know, I could have been a middle school coach, an NBA coach, a high school coach, college coach. I often think time the Lord called me to coaching in college because that's where I had so many troubles. And um, it just was a place where, you know, as a lot of college students do, just strayed and I strayed. And, um, it, but that allowed me, you know, and that, that uh, adversity um, allowed me to, uh, I think, better mentor kids at this age um, and help try and steer them in a different direction than I was at that point in my life. Yeah, absolutely. And what I've, I tell you, there's, there's still many coaches that are still looking for themselves. Yeah. yeah even as they get older, uh, I, I know you probably encounter some, some ones that have found it, but um, 
What do you think are some of the main issues that you see in our coaching profession? Um, is it just a focus on wins and losses or is it, because I sense that even it's coming down to the high school level now where, I mean, you look at the job board and there's so many coaching openings, even here in Georgia. Uh, what are some of the issues that you see right now in our coaching profession? Well, man, first of all, let me say that I love coaches and I'm thankful for everything that they do. And I recognize the struggles that they have. And I don't mean to make light of them, you know, because I, I recognize their real struggles. Um, but I do think in many ways, you know, there's a lot of coaches out there and, and I, you know, look, I'm still growing uh, just like you. I'm, I'm still growing, still trying to find a better way. And, you know, when I finish out every year, I, I look back and I'm like, man, I could have done so much better, you know, to impact lives. Right. And so there's always that level of, I, I you know, disappointment because I know that I could do better and I'm still growing. But at the same time, I think the thing that are going on with the game um, is, you know, people searching for that, that, that why, like looking for the reasons that they're doing what they're doing. And then there's all these things that come into play, which make it harder. You know, for instance, you know, if I don't win, I'm out of here. If parents don't like me, I might get fired. If AD doesn't like me, there's so many factors at all levels of, of play, you know, can I relate to the kids? Do they like me doing this? Am I winning enough? Is our, can we recruit good enough players? You know, if we're in high school, are we getting enough players? Like there's so many things that go into coaching that make it easy to lose your way. You know, I mean, if you're not grounded, you know, you're throwing seed on rock, it's not growing and, and, and you throw it on fertile ground and it will. And that's where I think a lot of coaches that are, that are grounded and based in their why, and, and they have a really solid foundation, they can survive a lot of environments. But if you'd have thrown me, you know, at, at 22, you know, years old in my life into a lot of different environments, I would have screwed it up and I would have gone the wrong way. And I would have been about, you know, me and I would have, there's a whole lot of things I would have done. I would have, uh, you know, succumbed to pressure because I still feel pressure now. I just combat it better because I have to recenter myself and put it back to what, why did I do what I do? And, you know, where does, where does my relationship God play in here when, you know, all the different things that bring me back to my place. But I, I still fight it on a daily basis. Every time we lose a game, everything that time don't go right for us, but there's so many factors. I feel bad for coaches that they're facing so many factors um, that, that make their life hard and their job hard. And, um, and so then they start, looking for band-aids and quick ways out. They start thinking about, well, how do I do this? And how do I fix this? And how to do that? You know, rather than thinking long-term, because I think a lot of times they feel the pressure of everything is short-term these days. Win right now, do this right now. And, and, um, and so, yeah. And what happens in the, in the long run, a lot of times, Kevin, I think is that while people try and put band-aids and they try and take shortcuts, it just leads them to the inevitable. You know what I mean? Like they, it, it doesn't work. And, um, they end up causing more problems. They try and sweep things under the rug and uh, they, you just can't do things that way. But um, you're, you're only doing that because you think it's a better way. But really, a lot of times it just becomes a quicker way to an end in a lot of those situations. Yeah, and it's always one thing I've learned from you, particularly recently, I, I, is you got you constantly you and Adam both constantly talk about and Sam. It's about the why, right? I mean, why are we doing this? Uh, and I even have a question for you later about your practices. And there's a lot of why questions that, that you have you have mentioned. But coaches got to know the why. And that's that's probably the hardest thing for so many coaches, including myself. But I um, 
I feel like I've just, just by you guys mentoring me, uh, I feel like I have become a better coach. And I think we need more mentors like you and some other coaches, don't you think? Well, I mean, I appreciate that. And, and absolutely. I, I, one of the best piece of advice I've ever given been given is that um, the shortcut to, to greatness is great mentors. Um, if you have people that, you know, can, can guide you and lead you to the places you need to be. That's, I mean, like, I, I mean, my dad was amazing. He grew up under one. I got to know Don Meyer who mentored me at the end of my life. And I can go on and list these people and I feel like they're unfair advantages. I had great mentors. And when I coach my own players, a lot of them are struggling for parents, um, for leadership at home, for people they've never been around that are, are good quality leaders. And so I feel, you know, I feel almost bad sometimes because I was fortunate to have such great mentors. Um, but I actually absolutely think that that's really important to have those really good mentors. And, you know, I want to go back to what you said that, you know, the why behind it all, like I almost feel like it's cheesy, you know, Hey, you find your why I don't know I've said it a thousand times, but it's really, there's not, not any other great way to say it. Like if you're in coaching, cause you just want to win games, that's why you coach. It's going to drive the way you behave. It's going to drive the decisions you make, you know? And if you're in there, um, to, um, you know, I, look, the other end of it, I've seen a lot of good Christian coaches that are phenomenal at like just, you know, growing young people and making a big impact, whatever. But they have a hard time at, at getting through to some people because they're just not really good in their craft. They haven't learned how to coach well. And players right. are like, why am I why is this guy my coach? I know he loves Jesus. I know he loves his whatever. But at the same time, you know, he's not teaching us any basketball. And that's a struggle sometimes for him. So I, I think all of those things matter. I mean, if I got to choose one, you know, I want the the you know the the better leader the better mentor but i really want a coach that does it all i want them to be good at their craft and i want them to be able to also lead well and i want them to mentor well um but when you go back to that like it's really hard like if your why is just to win games there's not a lot i'm going to be able to say to you um that's really going to matter about the other aspects if that's deep your deepest held why and um and so whatever that deepest held why is usually that's what comes that's what comes out of you you know, and you could say, hey, I want to raise these kids well and I want to teach them these lessons. And da, da, da. But at the end of the day, if you're in practice and all you can think about is winning, you're going to miss a lot of lessons that you have to teach. And so it, it, you can't really run from the why. Yes. And, and I want to talk about your dad who taught you a lot of this because my dad's very important and my dad coached me as well. And I know, um, that he still coaches me, TJ. So yeah. uh, he still criticizes everything that I'm doing, but it's all it's all because he loves me. But um, how did your dad shape your life? Uh, and I know you uh, played at Oconee High School, which is heck right down the road from where we are out here at Lake Oconee. How did he shape you, and how how impactful was he as as uh, as your dad and your coach? Yeah. Well, I mean, hey, Kevin, be thankful you got somebody to criticize you. You know what I mean? Because I wish my dad was here, you know, to criticize me, and, and we'll we'll miss that. And I, I tell that to my son all the time, even though he doesn't doesn't want to hear that. But you know, it's true. And and um, and this has been one of the hardest seasons I've ever I've ever had because you know my dad um, was my biggest fan, and he was the guy that would send me stats and you look at this, did you look at this? Have you thought about this? And um, but he also always let me know that he was in my corner. And it's a really different season when your biggest fan is gone. And, um, and so it's, it's been a tough one. And, 
but I'm also thankful uh, that it's been hard because I think it's, it's, it, it speaks to how much I loved him, how much I cared for him, um, and how impactful his relationship was uh, to me. And I think that, you know, I processed that mentorship and, and fathership and, and love at, at different ages at different ways, you know. And I, what I remember in high school more than anything is a couple, a couple things when he coached me in high school is that I, I remember how painful it was for him to do cuts when he had to, when he had to make the team and here's the people that made it. Here's the people that didn't make it. I just remembered him agonizing over that. And it always meant a lot to me, even though I hated it for him that he cared so much that it just hurt him to cut anybody. And that was a really good lesson. You know, when I think about how I want to treat young people, like I want it to be hard. I don't want it to be easy to, Hey, tell a player to get out of here, tell a player, I'm like, you know what? It was just hard because he cared so much. And, you know, I remember that when we um, did have the team, we got out there and we practiced. I just remember um, he, he just had a way with each and every kid. You know, one of the, one of the guys that spoke at his funeral um, that played for us, that was one of the most uptight young people that I've ever been around. Like, he came from a little bit of a harder family and very disciplined and, you know, just ex, you know, straight, just straight down the line. Like just everything had to be perfect. And my dad always would just tease him and have fun with him. And he'd always say, man, how loose is your goose? You got to loosen up and play. And, they, and I just remember it going from this kid never smiling to always smiling. And um, and I and I remember like just players would run through a wall for him. And it was. at that age, I really didn't understand why, because it was my dad, right? I'm like, I don't know why these guys like him so much, right? But they just, he just cared. He just cared and he connected. And when he cared and connected, it just, it it made kids want to do more. And that was one of the greatest influence on me. Like, I want to care and connect in a way that kids want to do more. Um, You know, and not necessarily just do more for me, do more because that's what good team sports is. You want to do more for your team. You want to help others out. It's not about you, you know, all that good stuff. Like, and, and he did that. And he did that. I don't even think he was as intentional about culture as I was. He just walked it out. You know, he just loved other people. He just cared for him. He just rooted for him. He just pulled for him. And then, you know, in turn, they played hard, you know, for him. And so that, that was, um, you know, some of the better lessons that I, uh, that I learned from my dad and being able to, uh, to play with him. And then growing up, you know, I think yeah, I, 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 when I look back on it, I was raised by the old John Wooden, don't whine, don't complain, don't make excuses. And, um, you know, my dad, uh, he was a very fair man and a really good man. But I do I do remember that whining was not allowed. You know, we, we, we had too much to be thankful for to be whining. And then when we did something wrong, like we were to own it and not make excuses um, about it, you know, and then love our mother. I mean, you know, like those are some things that just had to happen. But don't whine, don't complain, don't make excuses. Uh, was was very much how we were raised in and as children and uh, and I'm very thankful for that. Yeah, and I know you're grateful for that. Um, and and how many we need coaches like your dad? I mean, I, I see too many that 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 focus on the opposite. And it sounds like to me he was great. I, and I heard this the other day on on one of my podcasts. I, he was one of the guys was asking me. Jamie Beckler was asking me, hey. Um, you know, talk about the difference between communication and connection. He says, coach, you need to connect more than communicate. And that was like, you know, it's like, I need somebody like that, but that's so important. I think connection is a lot more important than communication, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, 
that's what he did. I mean, he, he, he didn't have this come in my office and talk about this and talk about, you know, which I do a lot of, you know, and I want to have regular basis. I have to be a little bit more intentional because I don't think it comes out of me as naturally as it does my dad. Um, right. And so, but he was just, you know, it's like he had all the time in the world for anybody that wanted to talk. We loved or supported, you know, and that's why he connected so well is because he was just available. I was heard something in church the other day about, you know, when we're raising young people, like they want to speak to the oldest person in the room that they feel like can trust and will care about them. Um, and, and a lot of times we think only young people connect with young people. And there's a lot of studies out there that show the oldest person in the room that they believe they can, they connect, they can connect with that will care for them is the one that they want to be mentored by. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so, you know, and, my, and the other thing, I, you know, another thing, like a little bit off the beaten path, but for, for my dad, one of the things that I loved, and I don't know how you say this to high school coaches, but, you know, he he uh, he coached in California for a long time and he had a lot of success. And uh, it was actually Coach Wooden, who's the one that called and got him in the job. My dad was out of coaching. I had three brothers and sisters all going through college and he took a job uh, down in Atlanta that Coach Wooden actually helped him find. And he got out of coaching for about seven or eight years and he just missed it every day. And my mom was like, hey, you, you got to go back. And and uh, a job just happened to open like a week or two into school. And uh, dad's like, you know, I'll just give it a shot. So he asked Wooden to call down there at the principal. And, you know, two days later, he's got the job. And, um, you know, we go, we move from, from where I was at. But he, he was at a really unique place in, in time in his life. I don't know how he was when, he, when I was younger because I wasn't perceptive enough to know. But here's what he cared about. He cared about the kids. And the, uh, the other distractions didn't get to him. For instance, like, you know, other coaches didn't like this or the AD didn't like this or parents didn't like that. You know, he was at a place where he was just kind of established as a person. And he, he was, he was judging himself by his own scale. Like, am I living up to what God wants me to live up to? Am I doing this right? And he, and, and I see so many coaches these days getting out of coaching for the wrong reasons where parents are doing this or administrators did this or, you know, that players don't like this or they're not getting enough playing time. You know, the, the whole, the whole, you, you know, you see it and you hear from other coaches, there's a million reasons why they're getting out of it. And, um, but my dad, I remember being in a unique place where it didn't matter. Like he just cared about the kids. And to be honest with you, yeah, it's honestly why he got, he got let go. I mean, he, he had the winningest season in school history and still has like the 10 winningest schools in school history. I mean, he won, he won a ton of games. And they were like, they won like 28 and fours last year and got let go over some really silly stuff. You know, it was part of, um, you know, like the gym, you know, gym hours weren't being monitored this and this something wasn't doing this, but it wasn't his concern. His concern was connecting. And, um, and I'm not saying you shouldn't do the other little things, but I feel for coaches now, like sometimes it's not, like it's, it's hard to just coach your team because there's so many other distractions like we were talking about earlier but my dad could zone those out because he really didn't care about the other things. I mean, there's a lot of times I thought he should have cared more, but he didn't. And, uh, and so then it allowed him to really connect well. Yeah, there are, yeah, there, there, excuse me. There are a lot of distractions. I coach at a small school and there are so many others, but if you're grounded in your beliefs um, and I think older coaches probably have an advantage there. Yes. Yeah. And that they've been doing a certain way, but even a younger coach, man, if you, but it, it's hard to kind of establish yourself as a young coach. I think young coaches, but I think as you get older, you really have to be grounded uh, in your core beliefs. And that's what I want to talk to you about now. 
you have won three national championships, three national coaches of the year. And I know you don't want to focus on that, but I know you have a strong core principles in your program. Can you tell us a little bit about what are your core principles um, at Emmanuel College? Yeah, well, I can tell you, I can tell you this, like, you know, every year we kind of come up with uh, you know, core values for our team and, and then we have them within the program. But hey, the one thing we just focus on is just like there's there's a thousand teachable lessons every day. And as coaches, we want to make sure we teach those and mentor young kids for their own. And I think probably the first thing that we always talk about is it's just not about you. You know, I, I, I've said it a thousand times, like the, the quicker you can get to learn that lesson. And it was a lesson that I needed to learn is that, you know, this world is really big and there's a lot of people in it. Right. And it's surely something greater than me created all of this. And so it, it gives me perspective on it's just it's just not about me. Like there's got to be a lot more to this thing called life and and uh, whatever, however you want to reference it or refer to it. There's just more to it. And I think basketball is just a microcosm of, of life. You know, like if you can learn that this team is just not about me and I can be selfless and I can put others in front of myself. Like that's going to serve this team, and um, you know if you if it's going to serve this team, it, it also is just a microcosm of how it will serve in life. If you can make this life in this world not about you, and you can make it about others, like the greatest human beings I've ever been around didn't make their life about them, and um, and so the sooner they can learn that lesson, um, then the better off they're going to be for their future. And so you know that's the core value I think we hold most dearly, and we kind of work from that place. And it answers a lot of our questions like, hey, did you give max effort? I didn't. Well, you didn't give max effort. You realize you have teammates relying on you. I do. And so you're making this about yourself when you give Matt, don't give max effort. And so when we, we refer to a lot of things that tie back to our one main core value of it's just not about you. Um, and that's for us as coaches, too. We have to walk that out. We have to live that out. Uh, each and every day. I mean, it, w with my assistant coaches, I need to ne let them know. I mean, usually I've, you know, there's a couple days of practice I miss every year and I don't hesitate to miss it. You know, I missed one a couple weeks ago. My, my, my youngest son was in the hospital and, uh, you know, I, I didn't hesitate to say, you know, it's not about me. My assistant coaches are really good. Um, it's going to be their day. I, I need some rest. I need some sleep because I've been at the hospital and, and I need to practice that, not just say, hey, it's not about you um, and giving away power to players and to assistants. And so, that's, that's the one core that we kind of always come back to. We have several others that we make different every year, but that's the one that stays true every year. So do you um, – I love that, and that it's simple because a lot of times if we focus on more than one thing, we get distracted. I know I do. I love that. And I, I spoke to a coach the other day, Coach Rakoff from Central Valley – high school and he was a you know national coach of the year and all that and he his his theme was we before me mm -hmm. and and I, I love that and I think your great coaches always have that that humility that selfless but I, I don't I'm not sure how much we really fight for that culture and that's a thing that I got from you I love that what do you do to fight for that culture I mean it, I, and you talk a lot about the daily task yeah. every day fight for your culture Coach, give me some examples. I love, I love when you, I love when you talk about that on your podcast. You know, so I don't. I, I probably throw out the word culture and the why as much as anybody, but I, but I'm, but I'm also not a big, like, 
paint it on the wall, come up with step one, two, and three. Like I'm not always been huge. I'm not against that, but I really do believe that culture is an everyday thing. And that's why I think you have to fight for it every day. And I think that like, when I, when I think about, I, I can't remember what our core values were when I played for my dad, but it really doesn't matter that I couldn't remember those because I can tell you all about our culture. Our culture was one of care and love and lift other people up and be a fan of somebody else and don't make it, you know? And so those words didn't really resonate or stick with me. I remember we made some up and, you know, we, we put them on a shirt and we did all that good stuff, but we, we, but really I don't, that that's gone for me, but I do remember the intentionality of our team and how, how we emphasize that every single day. So for me, like culture is an everyday thing. And I think, you know, fighting for your culture every day um, is as simple as uh, not walking away from things that could be swept under the rug. You know, like I, I'm really, really big on that. Like too many times I've seen too many cultures where there's a problem and people just try and sidestep it. And uh, the one thing that I think we do really, really well is go ahead and hit that head on. Like every single one, like I, I've I shared it too many times, but Martin Luther King, ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in times of comfort and convenience, but challenge and controversy. And when we have challenge in our program, we have controversy in our program, like we are going to hit it head on. We are going to get in a room and we are going to talk about it. We're not going to pretend like it didn't happen. We're not going to sidestep it. We're not going to, we're going to, we're going to hit it head on every single time because believing that if we do have these conversations, if we do care about this each and every day, that there will be breakthroughs that come from having those hard conversations. And um, I think a good culture is like a family, you know? I mean, my wife and I, we argue. My children and I don't always get along. I, I ask them to do things they don't want to do. Like there's, there's always this stuff that happens within a family. And so a good culture is not smiling and waving at each other every day and pretending like everything is good. And I think if you're going to fight for your culture, you're going to you're going to know when things aren't good and when things aren't going well, like this is a great opportunity to grow our culture, not one of those like let's pretend like it's not there and let's make sure we all continue to sing Kumbaya. And, and I think that's probably the best thing we do in fighting for our culture every day is that we handle problems. We deal with problems. And I think it's a great lesson for young people to learn to deal with problems. Yeah. And, and you're going to have problems, right? Absolutely. I mean, that's Absolutely. that's something you can get over. Uh, and players What's your opinion? Because I know, I know players struggle on communicating or connecting with other players. I know on the surface it looks all good, you know, and, but um, I know I continually have to work with my players on for them to take ownership and communicate. Even I'm a PE teacher. I work with little kids. So every day <laughs> there's issues with little kids. But I try to give them the ownership. Hey, you have to go work it out. Uh, within a certain restraint and so forth. But I think we do too much for kids. What do you think about that? Do you allow your players to work problems out or do you, do you do it? Yeah, for you know, I, I, I've always given these guidelines, truth, love, and transparency. Like if we go into a, a problem and we tell the truth, we're transparent about what happened and uh, we speak in love, like we'll figure it out. But if you start getting away from the truth and you start hiding transparency or you speak not out of love, you're not going to fix it. And so I love for players to fix their own problems. And I think if they work by those three guidelines and have conversations and someone can say, hey, listen, 
you know, th this isn't really being very loving. Like, I don't really feel like we're working in the same direction. So we help them through those things. But yeah, absolutely. They've got to do that. We're, I mean, we're in the, we play our postseason game tomorrow and we're, you know, we've been going at it for who like seven or eight months. And we're, we're talking about communication and practice today. I mean, we've called the team up and talked about, Hey, uh, what is, what does it sound like in here right now? How are we communicating with each other? Hey, look, it looks like Brandon's down. Has anybody got anything, said anything to pick him up? What did you say to pick him up? Well, did he hear you say it? Like, I mean, one of the things that you have to specifically with communication, that's a full-time job. Like, it, it, you know, yes. you, you have got to constantly, I'd say two things, challenge them um, in their ability to communicate. But the second part of this is really important is you have to teach them. Like I, I don't think it because I don't think it's natural to communicate well, and it's getting harder for people to communicate well because of technology and all the different things that happen. it's getting harder. Like those skills are already hard enough. And so I think giving examples, like I think one of the things I see happen a lot of times or, or happens too much is like coaches getting mad for players not talking on the court, but they don't know what to say and they don't know how to say it and they haven't practiced it in practice. So, I think giving them examples of ways to communicate, um, even just being positive to each other, like, hey, I know you meant well here, but let, let's just talk about how that might have been received. And so those are just daily teachable lessons. But, you know, communication, when left to chance, is going to not work. And so it's got to be it's got to be hit on every single day. Yes. And I, I tell you what, and I, of course, I still I mean, I, I'm stealing from you all the time. And I'm sure you steal from others as well. I think that's part of the profession. But uh, we we do a lot of high fives and touching in practice. Uh, we feel like that connects the players. Um, what what are some of the other things that you do to keep your players engaged and together? Because I found out just by players giving high fives the whole spirit of the practice. Is it that simple? I mean, I don't see a lot of coaches. I watch warm-ups all the time in high school. I don't see a lot of teams connecting. I don't see benches alive clapping for each other. I see a lot of negative body language. Um, and I look at that stuff, and I know you do too. What do you feel about all the intangible things, about the connect players connecting high fives, and also about bench decorum, that team spirit. Give me, give me your, give me your ideas about yeah, that. You know, well, I mean, I could go on for hours about this. I can tell you that um, I've always, you know, to me, the greatest thing about the game of basketball is that it's a team sport where when five or 10 or 15 come together, they can accomplish something greater than they could accomplish alone. And I still think basketball is the greatest sport on earth. And I think that the cohesiveness of a team is one of the most special feelings. Like when I got out of college, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I just knew I wanted to be on a team. Like I wanted to be on a team that cared. And that's kind of what led me to coaching. I just couldn't give up that feeling. I mean, it was like a drug to me, like to be in the locker room with a bunch of guys that care about a mission. Like I, I just needed that. And, and I love that feeling. And when you think about like, um, it, it, you know, high fives and body language, and all that, like I always knew that I liked that. I always knew that I wanted that. I always knew. But then, you know, things changed for me when I went to point guard college and I started working. I've been there about 10 years now. Um, and the story how I got to point guard college is a really, you know, interesting one. And it's a God story. Uh, but it was the first time that I'd ever been to a place where, you know, Dick DiVenzio created point guard college over 25 years ago. And it was the first time I've ever been to somewhere 
where it was no longer a theory. Like somebody was actually putting this into terms like, why is body language important? I mean, if you go to some of our sessions at PGC where we're teaching kids, one of the first thing we teach the youngest kids to do is how to shake hands. And you'd be, you'd, right. be, you'd be blown away by how many kids just don't even know how to shake hands. That when they go to shake hands, you know, they give this loose grip or they don't make eye contact or they turn to the side or they, do, you know, and it's like it, once you're conscious of it, you're like, wait, wait a second. There's a whole nother way to do this. Like when you want to get that job or you want to meet that person, like you got to know how to do this. And, you know, that's where we began studying and we read the articles about, you know, the Dallas Mavericks out high five in the Miami Heat and how the touchiest teams in the NBA go on to, you know, to be the most successful teams. And, you know, there's a lot of science behind body language now. And um, and, and so going through PGC and learning how to teach that and something that we continually study. We have our directors doing research on this all of the time on what's the newest, latest up to date stuff on body language. And uh, going through that and discovering, like, there's ways to actually teach this. There's ways to practice it. And I think a lot of people, a lot of coaches, and I hear this a lot of times, Kevin, you probably do too. It's like, well, my team just didn't have the right attitude. My team didn't connect with you. My team didn't, you know, care for each other. You know, but most of the time, like 90% of the time, you're not actually spending the, the proper amount of time teaching that because I believe that all of those intangibles, and that's what we teach at PGC, the intangibles of the game, are as teachable as the skills of the game. The problem is we're going to spend, you know, 100 hours over the season teaching ball handling, but we're only going to spend one to two hours on how to have a great attitude and connect in the intangibles of the game. And that just doesn't match up. You know, if you spend one hour on ball handling, one hour in shooting every season, you're not going to get great results out of that. And so I don't think a lot of people are putting as much time into that stuff as they need to. And that's for sure. And I have, I got to tell you, Point Guard College, uh, again, I mean, I spent a lot of time checking out your videos and your forums and your, your sessions. You all, you all do a great job. You really make me think. You really expand my knowledge. Uh, I have a girl, Hannah Heinen, that goes to Point Guard College, little eighth grade kid, and she loves it. I'm telling you, she's going to be a really good player. But all those and, and all those intangible things, she comes back. So excited about basketball. You guys are doing a terrific job, and I know your clinics are unbelievable. Um, why don't we do – why don't we have all the youth basketball training in America done under umbrella of like a point guard college? I know it sounds crazy, but we need better coaching out there that, that coach more than, you know, the, the skills and the drills and things like that because – I know from my players, they love it, and they're getting a lot out of it, more than just the skills of the game. Tell me about that. What do, what do you think about yeah, that? Yeah, you know, I mean, I, obviously, I mean, I got a dog in the fight. I work with PGC. I love PGC. I run our coach development for PGC. But, I, you know, I, w- I, would say, I would say this. You know, one of the things that's great about it is we're the coach's friend. Like, we don't, we don't have skin in the game. Like, we're not trying to recruit your players. We're not trying to – you know, bring them on to this team or to that team. We just have one mission. And, and it's, you know, it's to be a light in the basketball world. And what we're really trying to do with players, what we're trying to make happen is we're trying to send them back to coaches more coachable than they've ever been, more conscious of what body language looks like. What does it look like to think the game? I mean, we're trying to send them back so coaches love coaching them. And we're trying to make them the players that coaches love coaching. And, and so, you know, when you talk about, hey, I think, you know, like PGC, whoever else, 
could be the one teaching all these kids. Look, the money's gotten the way. Like we're never going to be able to get there because of AAU and all the different things that go on. And they have, they have different, um, they have different agendas, but our agenda, um, I mean, we have a business and we want to make money and I'll be really transparent about that. We want to make money so we can make a difference. And we're doing a lot of amazing things in this world, including building a facility in Africa for, uh, Charles Mulley and all the, uh, he's right. He's, he's adopted over 10,000 children in his lifetime. Um, these kids go through it, but we, we want to really do, um, we want to do good fi- financially so we can do well for people all over the place. And, and so, it, and we're not shy about that. We, we want to make an impact, but we are, we, we're truly in it to bring back the player better for the player and the player better for the coach. And so many of these other things compete with that, like getting the exposure and, you know, you know, so, and everybody has these different competitive things that, that they, they need to get done. And I'm, and I'm not boohoo and all of it. I understand. I get, you know, where you have to do some of this, but it really is kind of a shame. Like, um, you know, basketball in sport in general can teach us so much about life and it could be good or bad, you know, and, that's why, you know, we got to be careful of the environments our kids are in and, and the situations they're in because, man, I, I've seen a lot of basketball when I go around and it's not teaching them the life lessons they need to learn. Um, and I, on, the, on the flip side, there's a lot of great coaches out there and a lot of great organizations out there that are teaching the things that need to be taught. It's just, it just seems like a battle too many times, you know, like um, that these people are teaching good stuff. These people aren't teaching good stuff. And I, I wish, I wish that we would get uniform on it. I wish we would step in because I've been overseas been to a lot of different countries in the way they do it. And, and we're not the best. America is not the best at developing right. players the right way. And, uh, and, and we need, and we need to fix that. Yes. And we're relying on our, our great athletes we have here in America. That's, that is pretty obvious. And I know there's a lot of great coaches out there like yourself that, um, and I, I know USA basketball is great, right? TJ. I mean, they're, they're trying to coach the coaches um, but I think here in Georgia, I think we need to do more to coach the coaches. And that's kind of a mission that I believe, because I see so many coaches that are struggling and their teams are, are not playing with class and things like that. And I think we can do a better job, but it, it, it's a tough call, right? I mean, it's hard to coach the coaches that are out there that particularly ones that don't want to learn. Yeah. And I know it's kind of, thing but it's needed right oh yeah and and that's why i say like you know there's a lot of good people out there doing good things it's just we're we're fighting backwards like you know usa basketball is working to take more control i'm on this board with junior nba they're trying to do more things there's a lot of people out there trying to do good things we're just fighting against the system that we created it's like we created the system and we recognize that it's not good and now we're trying to take it back but it's hard to take it back and that's what you see happening with the new uh, recruiting periods and the NCAA things. And, and we're not getting that right either. Like, we're, it, it, But it's a mess. We're trying to fix something uh, that has been messed up. And not that a lot of people aren't trying hard to get that done. It's just like when you go to, you know, another country and in Italy, they ran their basketball system this way for 50 years, you know, and they put coaches in and you had to get organized this way. And you can't set a ball screen until you're 12 and you can't do, you know, all these different things. Uh, that, that, that make the game better. And we've just are trying to undo something that's well on down the road and done. And then what makes it even harder is there's a lot of money involved and, you know, and right. so then how do you undo that? And that becomes really tricky. And that's why I go back to the why being so important. Cause you're right. Like, look, if coaches don't want to be coached, if they don't want to learn a better way, they're not going to learn a better way. You know, if they got to go 
get their certification from USA Basketball and take their test and get it done. But at the end of the day, they still don't care about the kids. That's not changing what they are and who they are, you know. And so we, we got to get to the core of it. We got to get down into the heart of it and what changes people, what gets them ready, what 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 prepares them to be able to do this. And, you know, I think on, on a daily basis, I, anything, just like a podcast like yours, like we can all just take baby steps every day to make the game better. And, uh, you know, my dad told me, you know, be good to the game and the game will be good to you. And it's lived out every day of my life being that way. I try my best to be good to the game of basketball and basketball has far exceeded uh, the way I've treated it and the way it's treated me. And, um, you know, and, and we all got to pull our weight. We all got to continue to encourage. We all got to continue to find better ways. And, you know, I know we're searching for that. And I know there's a lot of people out there searching for ways to do that. But, uh, hey, and I, and I love the idea. You know, I'll do anything I can for this state um, because I would love for it to start in Georgia. If we're going to get a movement of what coaching looks like, hey, I'm, any, any, I ain't game for any ideas we got. Yes, and, I, and I, my first thing as an administrator, I would focus on – you have to listen to the hardwood hustle. I'm serious. You guys do a terrific job. I'm telling you, I've been coaching a long time. I learned more. And I tell you, it's very rarely the X's and O's. It's you guys just give things that nobody else is teaching. I know I, know I appreciate that. Uh, and I know Sam does a lot of personal training, things like that. And, uh, but um, you guys are all about the intangibles. I know Adam does a great job. So, I think everybody needs to listen to you. I'm really promoting your podcast because I know what I get out of it. And I appreciate that. I consider you guys my mentors, man, even though I'm probably older than you guys, but you're still, you guys are doing a great job mentoring. And I think we need more of that. You need Gene Durden's, Eddie Martin's, Mm, those guys helping coaches. And Gene, I can call Gene up right now. He's getting ready to play in the state finals and he would sit down and talk to me for an hour. Yeah. Hey, you know and, and, and every minute of that hour would be entertaining too, you know. <laughs> exactly. Every time with Gene, man, I love that guy. This um, is because I saw you um, at that, you know, at, actually at the Buford Clinic, and I can tell a well-coached team from a mile away. I don't know what it is. I can just tell just while the communication, the organization the quick reminders you're giving your team, the players responding, they're on point. Tell me your keys to a great practice. Yeah, man, that's a really good question. To Keys to a great practice. Well, I, th- I think it starts with, uh, I think it starts with uh, expectations, you know, like uh, w- what you expect and also an understood expectation from the players. Like what we've, we've done a lot of groundwork. And so, to have a great practice, I think you have, there's a lot of work leading up to practice. And I think that's a lot of building your culture and setting standards. And what do you want this team to be about? You know, we, we run a commitment based culture, which is, you know, basically um, we as a team determine our commitments every year and we as coaches hold them to that. And so it's a lot easier rather than me being the master and saying, do this, do that, do that. Right. It's a lot different where I'm coming from, from place I'm coming from where I'm saying, Hey, you told me you wanted to be great. You told me you wanted to be the hardest working team. You're not doing that right now. So I'm going to have to hold you accountable to that. And, and so they're bought into the process really early on before we ever hit the practice floor. And so, and, and even if they're not all the way bought in, they've helped set the standard. And so that makes a big difference because I'm able to hold them to a, to a different level 
uh, when we get into practice. But I do think um, there are a lot of little things that make a big difference in practice. You know, like, for instance, how much you teach the intangibles, you know, how much you emphasize. Because a lot of times we put it up on the bulletin board and we leave it there. But, you know, we stop practice and all the time when it's quiet, when there's not good body language, when there's not high fives going on. And we remind them this is not what a championship environment feels like. You told me you wanted to be champions. Well, we don't show up quiet. You know? And so I think there's I think the holding holding the rope on the intangibles is big. I think it's really big to having a great practice. You know, I also think that, um, you know, not over like uh, you, you want structure to your practice, but at the same time, what I see happen a lot, I see it where I'm trying to get through these 20 things. And I don't think you're going to uh, approach practice like that. Like I'm trying to get through 20 things. I'm going to practice to make a better team. And that might mean I don't get through all these 20 things. Like I've got to be willing to say, this is the standard and we're not holding it. Let's stop right here, right now and make it better. And a lot of times I, th I feel coaches, they leave practice. And if I did these 20 things and I checked them off and we completed them, we had a good practice. And I don't think that's always true. I think uh, that if we held the standard, if we raised the standard and we competed like champions, uh, despite any of the drills that we did, we probably had a good practice. And so I think sometimes we can become you know, too complacent on our, on our, on our, our practice plan and sticking to that rather than noticing that in the course of practice, there's going to be a hundred teachable lessons. Oh, I can't stop and teach that because we got to get through this. I can't stop and teach that because we got to get through this. Like you got to stop and teach when there's teachable moments. And, um, and I think a lot of times that's what's missed in a lot of practices. And then uh, like just little things like, you know, how do you get from drill to drill? What's the expectation? How fast are we going from A to B? How, uh, what's the pace expected during this? When we stretch, what are we? I just think setting uh, guidelines and boundaries for knowing what it looks like. What does a great stretch and warm up practice look like? This is what it looks like. Let's hold that standard. And I think just doing that base work. So one of the things I don't mean to be long winded is that we spend a lot of time in the early season building the foundation. Sometimes we start slow, and I'm trying to figure out how not to start slow. But if you look at our record, I mean, we've won like 15 out of 17 right now, or something like that. I just won the conference championship and we started out like six and six and the year before, not any different the year before, not much different, but we, we build such a foundation of how to, how to do these things that I feel like every coach I go watch their practice, they just did 50 things more than I just did, but I'm not sure they built the foundation quite as strong as we built it. And, and so that, I think that being able to be patient uh, is also really important. Yeah, and I love that. And I, I got to tell you, TJ, tell me what you think. I There's many times, maybe it's the same thing you're saying, I will not finish a practice plan. I, and I don't know, it's not because I'm talking too much, is that I'll see teachable moments in practice. And there's many times where I'll not finish my practice plan. Is that bad coaching? No, not, not at all. I mean, I think over time you want to get a little bit more realistic where, you know, I can remember times when I had like 20 things down on practice and we got through four of them. Right. And that's not bad coaching because there's a lot of teachable moments, but I did overshoot by putting 20 things down there. You know, I, 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 it's, it's, I think it's better when, you know, you put eight things down there and you get through six of them. That's okay. That's a good practice. You were focused on things you need to. And, and, you know, and, and as I've gotten older and, and been through more practice, I've gotten better at marrying those two things. Like, hey, here's something realistic we can get through. 
allowing time to be able to make these. But I'm much like you. Most of the time, we don't get all the way through our practice plan. Um, but I have a couple extra things there. If we did do well, we would get to. And every once in a while, we get through it all. Um, but I don't think that you're, if you let your practice plan dictate everything that you're going to do, how do you get in all of those teachable moments? And if you were to ask me what's more important, teachable moments or getting through your practice plan, teachable moments hands down. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I guess less is better. And that, um, I think we're always battling that. I know I battle that as well. There's many times I do too much. And maybe that's how my mind works. And I know when I have less and focus on less emphasis and maybe focus on maybe one or two, maybe three core things, my practices run smooth. Uh, But also, some of my best practices are when my practices don't run smooth. Tell me about that. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I mean, yeah, all of those things are right. You know, one of the hardest things we have to do as coaches is to figure out what goes into our practice plan, right? I mean, you know, we're going into the tournament and they're going to run this press, this zone, this man, plus we got to get shots up, plus we got to get personnel. But, you know, it's not easy figuring what goes into a practice plan. Um, And almost every time we leave practice, I feel like, gosh, we should have done this or we should have done that. Uh, and, and so that's a really hard thing to balance for any coach and deciding what we're going to emphasize on a daily basis. But you're right. I mean, a lot of times um, I, I feel the same way you do when I, when our practices have gone off course, you know, it's been for a good reason. And it's one of the, you know, more valuable things we've ever done. I mean, I think I can think of back in my career where, you know, a handful of times we went to the huddle and uh, it got emotional and we never got out of the huddle and uh, we never actually even bounced the ball. And I would say those are some of the best practices we ever had. Somebody in our team was struggling with something they need to be loved on. And sending the message to our team that, you know, I had a practice plan here, but there's something more important going on today. Uh, it, it just echoes an eternity with those players. Like, would, would coach really drop practice just to take care of an individual? Absolutely. And so some of our best um, laid plans that have gone wrong have been our best practices, just like yours, Kevin. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't think enough coaches do that. And that means you care about your kids. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, you, I mean, no doubt about that. Tell me about uh, – you mentioned about your practices, and you talk about themes, and I love those. And I, I didn't get every single day, but, for example, like your Commitment Monday, yeah. your, your – tell me about that because – you know, I've always thought about doing that, but I hasn't put in the practice. Tell me why that's important. Well, I, I can tell you this. Like, I got a thousand ideas, and I've, I've had some really bad ones before. Um, but, but one thing is, is we're not afraid to try them. And um, we've done a lot of different things over the year. Like, I really try to be intentional, like in pre-practice, to uh, set our culture a little bit. And so, you know, we've done things like, you know, we read uh, Think Like a Champion from Dick DiVenzio. We've done a, a John Gordon book before where um, we, we just kind of read a chapter or a page and we talked about it. But what you're referring to is we, we name the days and we start out each huddle letting guys talk. I mean, we talk about communication and making better communication. A lot of times as coaches, we talk too much and they don't talk enough, you know. And so really that's, that's kind of what it came from um, is that we went into – you know, my commitment Monday, tough Tuesday, uh, wisdom Wednesday, thankful Thursday, uh, fun Friday and serving Saturday. And really that was just a topic, 
you know, on Monday, what are you committed to that your teammates can hold you accountable? And a few players would go around, three or four would share. And someone says, hey, I want to improve and I want to be the best offensive rebounder on the team. And, you know, and we'll ask, hey, who's willing to hold this person accountable for that? You know, when they're not going to the glass, who's going to say something to them? You know, and then Tough Tuesday is, you know, is usually that practice where I told you we missed a couple times where someone says, this is what's going on in my life. You know, my friend's losing this battle or my parents are doing this or my parents are getting divorced or they go on different things and um, they, they share. And then Thursday, like Thankful Thursday is a great one because we have one of our best practices on Thankful Thursdays because when you start practice with appreciation and thankfulness, players just seem to practice different. Like when you start out like with a gratefulness mindset, I thought about moving Thankful Thursday to every single day. Um, <laughs> exactly. Because I think it improves practice that much is when you start with gratitude, uh, it just changes your mindset. Like when you have kids that come into practice and they're like, oh, yeah, I'm down about this. I'm mad about this. But then they then they have to say something they're thankful for. You can't help but to kind of change your 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 flow a little bit as, uh, as a person. Even when I'm, you know, I might be mad as a coach and I come in there and start hearing what everybody's thankful for. It changes my attitude. Um, and so that's one of my more my more favorite days is Thursday. Yes, and I, I tell you, we do a circle of honor at our at the end of practice, and um, we have one player that we we kind of pick out, and all the players have to say, um, "Hey, w- you know, what positive thing did you see from her today?" And man, the play that they their faces light up, man, they absolutely love it. It's like, Coach Furtado, why don't you do this more? Like before, and sometimes the best thing is after games, yeah. particularly after a loss. That's when it's really impactful. Because we as coaches get so caught up in the in the L rather than focusing on the people. Uh, but our, our kids love that. But I got to do more of that. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's it's funny you say that. My, my dad did that with us. And um, it, it's amazing the lessons that you learn from that because it, it, it makes you be mindful of looking at other people. You know, like I, I remember, I remember like it was yesterday, the first day or two, thinking like I don't know what anybody else does well I was trying to do my job you know and then when you know it's coming every day then you start thinking about looking out for what other people are doing well and it, it can have I mean it can have a really big impact when you start thinking that way and acting that way that's that's really good stuff I'm glad you do that and of course Adam Bradley really emphasizes that and we were talking on the podcast about the kids need to really sometimes it is a little bit phony and the kids are not really thinking, but if you got to do it every day for the kids to get better at that, you almost got to practice that, that gratitude, because I don't think kids do enough of that. I don't think adults do enough of that. Yeah. But but, um, Hey, I don't have a a couple more questions. I know you're busy trying to get ready. Um, Let's talk about, let's talk about some basketball here. Let's talk about your offensive system. Your, you know, your read and react and, I'm not sure exactly what you're doing now, but we we are a five-out motion team. We put five players on the perimeter. We attack zone and man the same, five out. I'm telling you, Coach, we, we're, we don't have any bigs, and it drives teams crazy. We're a pass cut, pass screen away, pass screen away curl. I mean, it's so simple. The only thing we can't do is we're not shooting the ball well, but we pass and cut well. Tell me about – your offensive system and tell me about some things I could do better with, with my uh, motion. You know, I mean, well, first of all, the read and react is similar to emotion with the exception of that, you know, when you're running like a motion, 
you're making decisions on the perimeter. Like if I screen away and that person reads off that screen, right? You're making an, an outside in decision. With the read and react, you know, you cut to the basket. And when you get to the basket and you're underneath the basket, that's when you get to the decision box. So you could back screen your way out. Um, somebody could pin screen you in. You could fill out. There's all so that that's the you know, there's a lot of differences, but that's one of the biggest differences um, in motion is just where those decisions are made. Um, and, and, and so it gives a little bit of a different flow, but very similar in the sense of what you're saying is it's, it's basically a, uh, you know, a five out, um, uh, you know, or a four out. The one thing you can do with the read and react is five out, four out, or three out. You can go in any of those formations. Um, but, uh, it's kind of taught in the five out element. So you're coming from a place of teaching the, the read and react from a, from a five out place, but, but much like you said, what it does first of all it promotes movement of the ball um it's uh it, it promotes sharing of the basketball it makes people better passers it gives some freedom to the offensive player like all of those things happen um you know and and i i see all of it you know i mean i think that when, when there's a lot of different ways to skin a cat and there's a lot of really good offenses out there but i think what you're alluding to and what you're doing with your team is a really good one because it's really hard for people to prepare for you know it's really hard for people to get ready for and um man it sure beats the heck out of watching somebody dribble the ball 80 times and nobody touching the ball I, I just think the game is meant to be played with five players in coordination in some way or fashion or form and uh, that's what a good motion does and that's what read and react does yes absolutely and i have um you know i have uh, one of your my best tapes that i have is your practice tape teaching the read and react I absolutely love that and um uh, but I tell you, one thing it does for us, it all the players, I just believe players, every player needs to be getting touches yeah. because I think those players are going to move better. They're going to pass. And let's be honest, your best players, I have one girl that's a sophomore that's unbelievable. I mean, she is a going to be a high-level college player. She ends up with the shot. <laughs> but, 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 she'll, but the other girls are getting touches. Isn't that part of the – kind of the unselfish part of the game that I don't see enough of. I see a lot of, you know, dribble drive, things like that. But I want to see – I want all my players getting touches. Yeah, no, I, I think I think you're right. I, I think it just – it's more engaging, you know, for the players. And I, I think about, like, uh, you know, when Dwayne Wade and, and uh, LeBron came together and they both were such one-on-one -on -one players. And then when they learned how to kind of play off the ball in the second year, they became much better. And I, but everybody wants players that are active and involved. And I think that, um, you know, I think it's really important to, to have that on your team and, and, and people just more like just having more fun doing it. When people have more fun doing it, they're more bought into what they're doing. And like you said before, your best player continues to get the most shots. Look, your best players usually have the most ways to score. You know, like they, right. they have, they can shoot it a little bit. They, they, there's a whole bunch of things they can do. And so when you're able to do a lot of things, then you're, you're going to get more shots. And so that does still tend – a lot of people shy away from that kind of stuff because they're like, well, I don't know if my best players are going to get the shots. But your best players do get the most shots because they have the most skills, they have the most ability. And so they're going to – you know, if there's – in a normal possession, if there's five opportunities to score for them, a lot of times the only other player only has one. You know, and so they're going to get – they're going to get the majority of those. But I, I – I love playing that way, and I, I know why you're saying you're hard to guard because those are the kind of coaches nobody likes when you don't know exactly what they're going to do and players are moving and the ball's moving. 
uh, you're going to get better shots. Yeah, we, we definitely have a, a, a team concept here. The only problem is we're not making shots. Yeah. So great players, but we have one. But that's part of the, the development. And I tell you, coaches all the time say, man, I just love how your girls play. We had a co- athletic director come up to me after our last state tournament game, and we lost by 20 to the Turner County. Really athletic team. He goes, man, I just love how your team played. Wait a second now. We lost by 20. But it was yeah. a compliment to our girls how we, we play together. We just don't have the scoring ability yet. And that yeah. takes time, right, Coach? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I say this all the time. Our job as coaches is to try and maximize the team's ability. And we can't do anything about it if their ability is the best they can do is win one game. I mean, my greatest fear of a coach has never been losing. It's always been underachieving. Like, I want to achieve as much as we possibly can as a team. And, you know, promoting offense like that, sharing the ball, culture all of those things give you the best chance to accomplish the best they have to offer you know but there's some things that you you can't do I mean, sometimes you're going to come up against teams that are bigger faster stronger shoot the ball better right so what what are you expected to do in those games well you're expected to give them your best and right. my team to play their best and if we're not good enough we're not good enough we just didn't have the players we just didn't have the shooting we just didn't have whatever it is but I, you know and that's probably where that you know that person was coming from they're like you know you just didn't have quite the same amount of talent they had, but your team was giving everything they got and maximizing their potential. And as coaches, that's what we're trying to do is maximize potential. Yes, and sometimes the scoreboard doesn't really mean that much. Um, and what we tell our players all the time, it's not about the scoreboard. Uh, it's about how you play and the teamwork. And I, I totally agree with that. Coach, tell, yeah. my last question is this. Your favorite quote, and I, you, you could have changed this, but I, I read that if your dreams don't scare you and you're not dreaming enough, not dreaming big enough, why is this so meaningful to you? Well, you know, I think that one of the reasons I just I think that's really important is because uh, I think it's really living out your faith. You know, I mean, um, you know, I, I don't I. I I, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I try and always be a really good influence on people. I try not to force my faith on other people, but it's hard to hide your faith when it runs through everything you try and do, you know? And um, for me, you know, God-sized dreams is living out my faith, you know, things that I couldn't accomplish without him, you know, things that I, you know, if I, if I dream of, you know, doing something small, then I'm capable of doing that. But if I do dream of doing something big that's out of my control, then I'm going to need a lot of help to be able to get there. I think a lot of times it's just living out your faith. And for me, that's why I want those kind of dreams is because I want to be able to live out my faith and I need to, to, to recognize it's bigger than me. And that's one way that I recognize that it's bigger than me is I have dreams that are way bigger than me. And um, yeah, so I think that's one of the reasons that's so important to me. Yes. And I, I got to tell you, you've been so impactful. I, every time I talk to somebody about TJ Ruzine, about Coach Ruzine, about you, and they, they say, man, this guy, they're all positive comments. And that says a lot about you, how impactful you are to many coaches on that. I mean, you are – you're just a great mentor. And it really, mentors, it's not about age. Because there's a lot of great coaches with a lot of great wisdom out there. And I, I sure appreciate it. And I know the audience and so forth – the listeners are going to, I mean, have really appreciated 
you sharing with us. And I, again, I just appreciate you taking the time out. I know you got you got a big game coming up soon, right, Coach? Yeah, conference tournament kicks off tomorrow. So we won the regular season, and um, yeah, and then uh, and tomorrow's when we kick off the tournament. So next step. Absolutely, and I know you. I know you can do another podcast. You should do your next one on what's the mindset for tournament time. I would love yeah. to hear that, you know, because I know, and, and it's probably the same as what you do all the time. But I would love to hear that because the, I think your best coaches they know how to get things really focused. Their players focus on tournament time. Uh, I think that's the separator, and I know you've done a great job of that. Uh, yeah, we'll. Uh... We'll have to take that one. I like that idea. We'll do that. <laughs> but um, hey, I, every day I'm listening to you guys on the way way to work, and I I sure appreciate that. You guys, um, you guys mean a lot to me, and you guys keep up the great work. And again, Coach, thank you so much for coming on. Hey, thank you for what you're doing. I really enjoyed our our conversation. I know what a great job you're doing up there uh, with your team, and I know that you're, you're making an impact on the basketball world. And I know you're you're making a really big impact on the players that you're coaching. So grateful for you uh, living that out um, as well. And just thankful for all the coaches that are listening uh, to you or listening to us on the Hardwood Hustle. They're just finding a way to get better, you know, and I appreciate coaches and in, in, uh, in search of getting better. So you're, you're a platform to do that. And I appreciate you offering that platform. Coach Razine, thank you so much, man. Good luck in the tournament. And uh, again, again, I appreciate everything you're doing for all the coaches out there. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Kevin. Have a great day. You too. Thank you. All right. See ya. This is Alan Stein, Jr. My new book, Raise Your Game, High Performance Secrets from the Best of the Best, will be available from all major book retailers on January 8th. Raise Your Game takes a rare peek behind the curtain and shows you what the top coaches and players in the game do during the unseen hours. I share their routines, rituals, and habits, as well as proven strategies that you can implement with your team immediately. If you want to maximize your coaching impact and influence, order your copy today at RaiseYourGameBook.com. This is Matt Smith from United Basketball Clinics. A highlight of my week is listening to Kevin Furtado's Championship Vision podcast. Kevin has a passion for the game and helping coaches grow in their craft. He interviews some of the best basketball minds in the business, and you are sure to gain insights on how to improve as a coach. I suggest you check out his podcast today. Coaches, I hope you enjoyed <clears throat> this interview I had with TJ Rosine. If you, I'm telling you, he, he's just remarkable on some of the key ideas that he has on building a program, uh, working with your players. I hope you really enjoyed uh, this podcast. And, and really, my objective for these podcasts is to help you to impact other coaches out there, to share great ideas, great, great minds of the game. I also want to share with you, uh, I have a website called championshipvision.org. And what I've done uh, over my 29 years of coaching, I, I have put together some, some of the things that uh, I have done over the years. Feel free to go to championshipvision.org. Matter of fact, uh, a couple of things I put together, you can take a look at um, my basketball feeder system development program. Uh, kind of gives you a complete curriculum on things that you can do within your program, kind of an organization. Because I think uh, the 
your great programs have a great feeder system. Uh, take a look at that. It's in my store. And another thing I have in the store is what I call the Coach for Title Basketball Improvement Workout. Things, it's an organized program for your kids where they can do in the offseason. Okay, let's be honest. Teams are made in season. Great players are made out of season. So take a look. I have a bunch of items that you can um, – Free resources, but also has some things you can purchase. So feel free to go to championshipvision.org. And I'm looking forward to seeing all of you in my next podcast. Take care.